Quiet on the set. Okay, everybody, quiet on the set. Scene one, take ten, Marker. Studios of the Modern School of Film. Welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo, and over the next hour together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, Bob's your content, actor, creator. Stephen Mangan is with us. Welcome. To Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. Robert Malazzo here with you. Every week, murmurradio.com. I'm the founder of the Modern School of Film. That's my quasi day job. <laughs> Murmur Radio. Download the show, subscribe to the show anytime, access iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, all of the typical podcast storage suspects, social handles at MSF Murmur, Twitter, Instagram. If you have a subject you'd like me to tackle on the show, email me directly at the show Murmur Radio, one word, at gmail.com. Send me a subject. I will match your subject to a subject educator, a guest <laughs> in the common parlance, and we will take on your subject, give you full credit, bring you on the show to talk about the episode, what you think. How'd we do? Give us a grade. Well, a numerical grade. Let's do pass-fail. <laughs> pass-fail grade. Come on the show. Murmur Radio. Welcome. Welcome back. Every week on Murmur, one guest, one subject. Today's guest is Stephen Mangan. Stephen is an actor and a now a creator. I, I like the word creator now more than producer. I like the fact that He's creating things, literally. He and his wife have a production company called Slam Films. They are uh, creating content for small screens. I don't think they've done anything for the big screen yet, but Stephen has. Stephen's also been on Broadway in London. He's based in the UK. He is English. <laughs> That's kind of part of the the uh, non-carrot carrot into today. Uh, the subject today, how content reflects culture. There are so many ways to look at this word culture. I heard it mentioned politically recently, and it's easy to forget that everything determines culture, determines persona. That's a little bit of the parenthetical of what culture is. How does content tell us something about the culture? One low road is when I travel for work, first thing I like to do when I get the luxury of being in a hotel, I like to throw down on the bed and turn on the TV. Two reasons. One, their beds are usually more comfortable than my bed. A less comfortable reason is I think TV can give me a quick glance into where I am or an unmagnetic north to what is being watched, what is popular, what is a large swath of the population gravitating towards, what's on during the day, what's on during the night, and what's on later at night. Doing cultural talks, I think this is some entree into that. Maybe over the next hour I can explain it a little bit better, and certainly Stephen Mangan can. He has hybridized his work from the UK to the US, from the US to the UK. He has worked with American creators in the UK. He did a show called Bliss that was created by David Cross, an American creator. He did a show in the US that was based on the fact that he's from London and he is and he and his fictional wife were remaking an English series for American audiences, a fictional series called Pucks, remade and starred in by Matt LeBlanc. So this is a perfect guest for this topic and also because he's such a good actor, he's such a good performer, and he's such 
such a smart, rigorous thinker about how his work and now as a creator, how his work will continue to inform this culture. Back to the hotel room. I'm watching the content, and more often than not, I go towards sports. And yes, I love sports, but it's not simply because I love sports, because sports are not lingual in the same way. So one way to really know, and outside of the and outside of the UK, when I'm in a country where I don't speak the language, that is really an interesting philosophical entry point for what the culture is watching. I was recently in Italy and uh, bike racing. It wasn't the Tour de France. It was simply your bike race du jour, uh, even though that's French, du jour. <laughs> Uh, a little service we provide here. Uh, auto racing was really popular. Football, American soccer, European football, non-American football was really popular. And we'll get to that with Stephen because I know he's a Tottenham Hotspur fan, which is a club in the EPL, the English Premier League. So I like the sports because it gives me a sense of not the barbarism, but in a way the Darwinism because there's something about competition in America you may have noticed is a competitive culture. I can only imagine what visitors think of our culture if they flip on our sports from NFL to NASCAR to horse racing to baseball. It runs a gamut. It's a pretty schizophrenic culture. Maybe that's what we just learned about American culture. Back to Italy before we get to UK and Stephen Mangan. In Italy, recently, there watched a lot of love. They're not just shows about love. They're not just reality shows about love and dating, which we've done. And we're the U.S. is kind of ebbing out of that, more or less. And I more or less is more. We're ebbing out of that. But in Italy, they were rallying around it. They're almost sort of non-game show game shows. And we'll talk about that with Stephen, because Stephen is in a really interesting and for me, uh, slightly hypnotic, slightly addictive style of non-competitive competition called panel shows, which are really popular in the UK. I want to talk about that. And I don't think they will be popular here. So in Italy, there were these romance reality shows, but also centered around music. Music was really popular. So again, it, it doesn't say everything about everyone. Nothing can, thankfully, and nothing says everything, but something can say something. Good night, everybody. <laughs> so the UK. I do travel to the UK a lot, just doing events there. I have a lot of former students there as well, and we correspond. And when I go, I do flip on the telly, the telly. <laughs> Flipping on the telly, I notice these panel shows. And we've inherited some of the panel shows. Whose Line Is It Anyway was one of the first panel shows I watched. Clive Anderson hosted Mixing American and Non-American Improvers. And it was a game show where points were ceremonial. It was more about how entertaining and how slick and how interesting and how funny and how great an improv you could be. And it was great because it was it was competition without the burden of tension. It was, it was tension nonetheless because comedians you may have guessed are natural competitive. So there was something about building it in in that way. And again, these panel shows, and Stephen Mangan's done a lot of panel shows, both as a presenter and as a guest, the panel shows allow the comedians to be funny, kind of connect with one another in a non-sinister way, and let's call them game shows. But they're more like parlor shows, and I want to get Stephen's take on them. They're really popular there. I, I, I have a few of my favorites. My favorite is Would I Lie to You, hosted by Rob Bryden. You may not know Rob Bryden. Rob Bryden, you may know with Steve Coogan from the Trip series, but... Eight out of 10 cats is a popular panel show there, Never Mind the Buzzcocks, which focuses around music. Uh, Stevens hosted one called Have I Got News for You. And they're commentaries and not commentaries. They're, they're duels. They're kind of parlor games meets friendly duels. They're fencing, they're verbal fencing. And that's another reason why I don't think they'd float here. They're very word-based. America likes word-based stuff to a point. If we look at late night television, something that I, I think is uniquely American, we need breaks in them. We need interviews. We need songs. We need interludes. We need visuals. We need sight gags. These panel shows don't really do that. But then again, there are no late night shows really in the UK. UK magnetism is, is words and wit and vocabulary. And it's not an intelligence quotient. It's a tradition of learning. It's the way they see education. It's the way they see their daily bread, crossword puzzles. So Again, this is not a referendum on quality, high culture, low culture, high content, low content, but there is something to be gleaned. You know, I want Stephen also to educate me on the forms of channeling, TV channeling, because I think TV is more democratic, it's more diplomatic, it's aimed to more people. Speaking of which, I want Stephen to discuss the BBC. That's what even Americans know, but how much do we know about it? How much do we know that it's actually connected to a license, a governmental license that citizens must carry to watch. Let's talk to Stephen about that. The other big dog tends to be ITV, the independent television. ITV is where Downton Abbey started. Again, though, its popularity rose here. I'm surprised we didn't try to remake it. Black Mirror. My students love it. 
it was actually a Channel 4 show, another channel. It was a Channel 4 show. Uh, Netflix decided to remake it in 2015. So again, this is not good or bad. It just shows you something. These are some of the hieroglyphics we're going to leave. These are some of the traces we are going to leave. And some things don't leave. <laughs> I was thinking about Steven doing episodes, which is a really clever show with Matt LeBlanc, as I said. Matt was in Friends, no duh, but Friends is still really popular internationally. It's oftentimes a way to learn the language. Unfortunately, most people don't speak like Seinfeld when they learn English. <laughs> It'd be cool if they spoke like George. <laughs> what are we watching? What does that say about us? It's not about taking things and bringing them into our culture. That's actually a small part of our talk. It's more when we watch something, what are we watching? Are we watching two things at the same time? There are other ways to look at this, certainly. There's politics. We could look at educational systems. We can look at culinary traditions. Watching that bike race in Italy when I was visiting recently, I was thinking, if I was in the U.S., I wouldn't stop on a bike race. However, however, I am training myself to see about those translation, those fishes out of water. What happens when that content is lifted out of one culture into another? So let's talk to one man who has seen both sides. This is not a round equation, though. <laughs> it's a lake-based equation. <laughs> Today on Murmur, Stephen Mangan. Now this. Hello? Hello, who's this? Laura, hi, hi. This is Alfred Molina for Steve Coogan. Alfred Molina. M-O-L-I-N-A. The, the actor, yes. Well, I was just double-checking that uh, Steve... Oh, he is. Oh, great, 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 great. Okay. Well, uh, just in case you need it, my cell phone number. Hello? Hello, Alfred? Steve, hi. hello. Hi, hi. I'm so glad you made it. Please Thank sit you. down. I, I took the liberty of ordering some tea. Oh. So I, I love your um, I love your coat. Yeah, this that's Viv Westwood. Yeah, I, 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 I just uh, I like I've got a weakness for British designers. Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't know what it's about American designers. I, this, they're just too safe. Are you going to be a little bit warm? It's about 85 outside. Yeah, no, I, I, I take it off when I go out. Oh. It's just air conditioning. All right. So how, how, how long have you been living in LA? Oh, we've been here about uh, seven years. Wow. We love it here. Absolutely love it. I do love visiting LA, but I always say it's a nice, it's a great place to visit. It's even a nicer place to leave. <laughs> But the part, no, is it? I think it's the palm trees. I just palm trees annoy the fuck out of me. Yeah, well, it's not for everybody. I mean, I, 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 I like it here, but we came out here. You know, I came out here to you know for the work mm. and stuff. It's great to finally meet you. I'm, I'm, I've got to say, I'm, I'm a huge fan of your stuff. I mean, I, you know, all, all the stuff you've done on TV, the comedy stuff. You know, I've got, I've got all the, I've got all the tapes. You know, get them sent over. It's fantastic. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, and you know, likewise, I'm certainly very aware of you. Oh, great. Uh, I saw that uh, TV series you did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you saw that? Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, we got cancelled. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. Well, your career seems to be going terribly well. I mean, you've got, you know, a lot of heat at the moment. Is that why you're here? Yeah, well, you know, the merry-go-round of meetings yeah, and, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, it's nice. People kind of finally <laughs> started to take a bit of notice, which yeah. is, is great. Are you, are you meeting on anything interesting? Yeah. I have to go. It's, I didn't, I was going to tell you, I have this, this meeting I was, I was going to, oh. it actually moved forward. I see. It's a thing at Universal, it's a yeah. number crunch, so right, stream yeah, of finances. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, listen, you're going to be here for a couple of days, right? So maybe we could see each other before you go. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. Um, this is not good, that this, the time I'm here. Oh. It's just, it's backed, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm backed up. Well, listen, no problem. So. Give, give me your cell phone number, and I'll, uh, you know, I'll call you before you go. There's a story there. The, 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 you have, there's a tri-band system here in the States, which is different to system in the UK, and it's a kind of um, we the cell phones out there don't work here, so I'm kind of I'm kind of cell phone less in the in the US. Oh, I see. Well, well, um, uh, g g g give me your home number. I'll call you. Well, you got my PA's number, right? Yeah, but you great. Can... Well, then we're connected. Well, well, can, can, can you give me your, your number at home? Can I say no? Because 
nothing, absolutely no, nothing personal at all. It's just that I don't, I never give my number out, ever. It's, a, it's a, just a space, a personal space thing. I never, and it's just a rule, and I always think, stick to the rule, stick to the rule, you know, stick to the rule. And it's more of a philosophy than a rule, really. And I have to say, I've, I've, there are, I, I've, I've not given my number out to many eminent people in the past. I once didn't give my number to Sam Mendes, so you're in good company. Well, it's, it's good enough for Sam Mendes, it's good enough for me. I think it's me. Right, yeah, because that's what mine doesn't work. Oh, look, I'm sorry, I've got to take... Well, I'll, I'll get my... Hey, hello? Spike! Hi. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah you, you got the message. Yeah, no, no, my, my agent just called you just to just to make sure that we're all, you know, on the same page. <laughs> oh, yeah, you bastard, no. <laughs> all right. Yeah, you still okay for Sunday? Good, all right. Will I, will I meet you there? All right. Nice and early. Okay, yeah. Yeah, lots of love. Bye, yeah, bye, bye. I'm sorry about that. That's okay, it's okay, fine, fine. Uh, you, was, that, was that Spike Lee? Oh, no, 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 no. I don't, oh. I don't even know Spike Lee. No, that was Spike Jones. Spike Jones? Yeah. I love him. Yeah, he's a good man. Good man, Spike. Yeah, we've been, uh, we've, we've been friends for a long, long time now. We're both keen hikers. We, you know, um, well, you know, we, we, we belong to a club and we go hiking at weekends. And, you know, he's, he's a very, very, uh, very, very committed environmentalist. Spike you know? Jones is a tree hugger. Jesus. I've never had him done as that. Well, I, I think he prefers the term leaf people. Do you know, I, I am going to tear up that stupid rule about phone numbers and, you know, and such shit. Would it be shabby of me to, to give you my number now? Yeah. OK. OK. Look, I, I, I've got to go. I'm ever so sorry. Um, I'll, I'll get the check. Good. Feeling down and dirty, feeling kind of mean. Hopping from one to another extreme. Time I had a good time, ain't got time to wait. I actually don't do in the States a lot, but watching what a country is watching is a kind of strange x-ray into them. I could be wrong. So to break this tie, we have a man who knows his way not around simply the TV, but around the boards primarily. But today we're going to have him slum through how content reflects culture. Today's guest is a writer, a producer, a Hotspur fan, a reformed lawyer. He may or may not be the co-creator of the show Pucks. We haven't figured that out yet. But to me, frankly, he is an actor. He's a consummate actor. Recently, he said he has an itchy brain. Perhaps we can scratch it a bit. And ours. Please welcome to Murmur, Mr. Stephen Mangan. Stephen, welcome to the show, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Are you a Hotspur fan? Or is that uh, just... Am I, re- I am a I'm Hotspur fan, very much, yeah. Uh, I don't know if your listeners will be familiar with that soccer club in North London, but it's... Uh, uh, been a great passion of mine for my whole life. Well, EPL is gaining traction here, English Premier League. D- do you think it'll, the worm will ever turn? Do you think the U.S. will ever have a kind of rabid following, or do you think it's a different sensibility altogether? Football, or as we call it, soccer, doesn't 
fit in with uh, your television schedules because <laughs> because there are 45 minutes of play straight through without any breaks and yeah, um, yeah. I just don't think uh, you're used to that you're 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 much more accustomed to if we're all Pavlovian dogs uh, who've been <laughs> uh, trained to uh, accept our you know our sporting food in certain ways uh, you guys like sports that have climaxes every yeah. 30 seconds to a minute a basketball baseball uh, football there's a there's a, mo- a spike of excitement and then everyone can go and buy some nachos whereas over <laughs> here we, we like games that you know uh, cricket for example that take five days and you play for you know, six hours for each of those days so it's, i think it's a different mindset one thing just as we a code on soccer football uh, non-american football let's say or soccer as we call it um, you know what? You know what I think is a little vexing for us is the extra time, and I know that sounds crazy, but because extra time feels a little arbitrary—not arbitrary in the way it's arrived at, but the way it's announced. I mean, to the U.S. fan, as you say, we love the ticking clock. Extra time is a little vexing because when you hear three minutes extra, shouldn't the game speed up, or is that just an American thing? Well, I mean, it's a very loose concept that is hotly <laughs> debated in every game here, right. and if people go nuts, and the idea that you call a timeout, you know, with 19 seconds to go, and each one of those seconds is meticulously counted down, it, it, it's not in our makeup. We are messy in that respect. The fact that you can play cricket for five days and have no result at the end of those five <laughs> days is, is a hard thing for I think people who aren't from this country to get their head around. But yeah, uh, you know, every time extra time is announced, a whole stadium, all 70,000 people are very perplexed. So you're not alone in feeling confused. You're right about the sensibilities of the two different countries. There is a difference. I went to a karaoke with my sister's in i think it was florida <laughs> this isn't and, starting well by the way well this, well this no story. I mean, you know we were, we were maybe in our early 20s and we got up and for us karaoke is a joke <laughs> they are trying to make me laugh when they're singing i'm trying to make them laugh it's just a bit of fun we don't mean it we don't right. you know when we watched the americans who were there they were on search for a star i mean they oh, were I singing know. to win the thing they were giving <laughs> it everything there was some tears there was and it was good I mean, oh, great singers hats off to them but the the the, the difference in approach was so marked. So I think maybe you're right. Let's round back to this premise that there's something in the tea leaves of watching, con- let's call it content, because I don't know what film or TV is anymore. Let's call it content. Do you think there's a link between what we're exposed to as a culture and what our culture is? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I think you, you look at the stuff that's popular and it's... I don't think the stuff, the content is leading a nation's thought. I think it's the other way around. I think a nation responds to stuff that it recognizes. Um, a nation watching uh, zombies, <laughs> as much as uh, our two nations love to do, is a nation concerned that that everything is going to be upturned. Uh, the status quo is going to be uh, upended. The zombie thing is, is definitely uh, a symptom of uh, fear and concern for the stability of a country. I think people watching all those vampire, uh, those twilighty kind of things are a, a generation of adolescents who, who don't quite know how to deal with their sexual uh, feelings. Um, and and, and, and programme makers respond yes. intuitively, yes, yes. I think, to uh, what the zeitgeist, what is going on at the moment, um, sometimes deliberately so, and at other times, uh, subconsciously. Um, I mean, the show Hang Ups that I've just made or is, is showing now in the, in the UK, um, we deliberately set out to reflect how modern life is being lived and how unsettling it is and how our life lived through technology uh, is affecting our relationships and affecting our ability to communicate with each other. I spend a lot of time in the UK. I have a lot of great friends there. And I, and I think London and New York are sister and brother, brother and sister cities. I think there's no two closest cities. So let's talk a little bit about, um, let's say, England. Okay. Uh, t- tell us a little bit, you know, if, let's play Radiohead. If this is a Radiohead song and I've landed, what report would I give them on England's content? What are What is popular? What You don't have to go names, but types. And, and what is it? saying do you think about the infrastructure and and the sitting populace um give us a little primer on english content creation programs about social issues problems you know terrorism uh governments falling uh thrillers involving 
um, corrupt politicians, corrupt police. You know, they are very much the kind of thing that we're seeing at the moment. There are certain things that always play out, you know, love, family, coming of age stories. They're always there. But the way they are being portrayed at the moment has a very quite a sinister and dark backdrop. I mean, Black Mirror is very popular in the States, isn't right. it? And that, well, it's interesting. And that's a very dystopian uh, view on, you know, on what's happening in the world. Not to interrupt, sorry, Stephen, we're here with Stephen Mangan on Murmur. A lot of people don't know in the States that uh, Black Mirror was a English-based production. And what's funny is my students love it. It's actually one of the most popular modern shows in the sense of how it shows modernity. Um, talk a little bit about, just give us another primer of the, the broadcast system in England, and I guess start with the the second Sun, which is the BBC Sun S U N, um, and then go to Channel Four and ITV, and just describe them. Like, what are the differences? We in the US don't really know, and I'm curious myself. Well, in the beginning, there was only the BBC, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you know, we day. are. We are, we are, as you know, people will look back on these times. We're still very much in the infancy of all these media. Um, so, uh, yes, the BBC was the only one to start with. It's paid for by the public. It's a sort of tax, uh, direct tax on everyone in the country who wants to watch television. If you want to watch television here, you have to buy a TV license, and that license money funds the BBC uh, and it's a quite unusual I think unique way of funding a TV channel so the BBC has no commercials it's supposed to be freer from commercial concerns in other words they are supposed to be able to take more risks show more niche kind of programming cater to minority interests but you know in reality in order to justify that direct tax they have to come up with big blockbuster shows. They have to be relevant. They have to be watched. So they're in a sort of unusual position where uh, they are being attacked, frankly, by all the commercial sta stations who say it's desperately unfair the BBC have this funding and they're in an advantage. So that's the BBC. How many BBCs are there currently? Well, uh, on television, there's BBC One, BBC Two and BBC Four. Uh, and then there are probably six national radio stations plus local radio stations so there's a bbc london bbc manchester etc uh, so bbc one is your mainstream um channel uh, that will be one of the most probably the most watched channel bbc two is always known for its um political reporting arts coverage uh slightly more out there comedies the office for example started on bbc two uh, whereas 40 towers would have been on bbc one um more mainstream sitcom. BBC Four uh, is a smaller channel that is supposed to cater for much more niche arts uh, and political programming, nature programming, but it's a tiny budget of something like 60 million pounds, which is about $75 million a year, oh. which is four episodes of The Walking Dead or something. So, you know, it's, 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 yes. it's, it's you know, we're talking tiny money, but I think you know, sometimes financial constraints mean that some very interesting programs can come up. People are going to come up with some ways of making interesting television that isn't all about huge budgets. Mm. I find this fascinating, and I find this granularity is not discussed enough, but there's something in it. Talk about then after BBC jumped to where Downton Abbey started, I guess, the I yep. ITV? ITV, exactly, yeah. which is the was the first commercial station we had in this country. Uh, known for some big blockbuster soap operas, Coronation Street is the biggest. Uh, it's a sl you know, as a commercial channel, it had to appeal more widely. So it's known for its commercial uh, stuff. But even something like Downton Abbey, Downton Abbey is the kind of show you would expect to be on the BBC. Mm. Uh, it, it is, you know, a period drama, um, high budget costumes. Um, but it was a huge success on ITV. So they're the sort of two big heavyweight, BBC and ITV. You've also got some Sky. Uh, Sky. And also Sky, and this is not to take the piss, uh, Sky is a Rupert Murdoch property, yeah. correct? Oh, okay. yeah. It's yeah, and uh, I say that agnostically. I'm not. Yeah, and that, you know, that is an, obviously uh, an interesting situation. Um, we know where your political but, you know, leanings we, are now. You know, we didn't know until we saw your show on Sky TV. Now we know. So anyway, go on. <laughs> 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 well, I have to say the one thing, I mean, people are, there's obviously people who disagree with me on this, but we, we uh, politically, our channels certainly give the impression of being slightly 
or trying to be less biased than, say, a Fox News. Uh, you know, the, the, the camps that um, American channels are put into, the liberals like these channels, the conservatives go yeah. for these channels. It, it's not quite that level here yet. It's funny, English TV, another differentiator is you have a lot shorter series in England. Mm. You know, we're used to 13 and 24, you know, episodes. Do you think there's some emotional comfort in something lasting longer and being more part of a person's life than a one-off? Oh, absolutely. And the shows that get the biggest audiences here are shows that have been running for 15, 20 years. Yeah. They're, not, yeah. they're not spoken of in award ceremonies. Uh, they'll never on the you know pick of the week in magazines or in listings because they're just part of the background now, but they're the ones that get the big numbers. And they're normally uh, often a detective element to them because I think there's something satisfying about watching an episode where the story is wrapped up at the end of it. You you know you sit there and you see the crime and you you work with the detective who you know like you say and have been watching for fifteen years right right and you get a result it's like a film but with uh, with characters you know already I mean any anyone who writes telly or makes telly will tell you that first episode is so hard to write because you're introducing the world you're introducing the characters you're trying to get people hooked on uh, people in a very efficient and economical way with a long running series all that work's been done. Yeah. Now you can enjoy. I mean, yeah. I work with someone called Matt LeBlanc. I don't know if you know him, but he's I, I've heard of him in friend. passing. Yeah, I think the face is familiar. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that I just I read yesterday is the most streamed show currently in the UK. Mm. Friends, friends, and they enjoy those characters and they love returning to them. You worked on episodes with with Matt, obviously. Talk about Friends, and you 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 had known Friends, you knew Friends before you knew Matt, and that seems to be the way life has worked out uh, for Matt and for us. What, what do you remember watching Friends in its height? I do, and I, I don't. I think you know. I grew up watching Taxi and uh, Kojak. Um, uh, Cagney and Lacey, Starsky and Hutch, uh, all those shows. I mean, I was born in 68. So all those shows in the late 70s, early 80s. I mean, it was part of our, always been a part of our TV diet. So it's always been just an accepted fact that we watch American shows over here. So there's no resentment at all. Absolutely not. I mean, Friends came out, I think, just when I was leaving drama school. At, at, Ra- at RADA. All, was at it? RADA. Yeah. And full of all that. So I don't think I was bending i didn't watch it a great deal but when i did i enjoyed it i mean it's a very well-made show and it still stands up now incredibly well you know what i man i gotta say something and and you can curl your eyes though i can see you i can't see your eyes so feel free to curl them if that's even possible (laughs) i could talk to you five hours about panel shows i know i know just hear me out for a second please traveling you know to the to uk london and england i I am addicted to panel shows and this will this is the subtext of it is language because americans and the English shared the language, as it were. Maybe there's something here. But I think they're fascinating. And they say something, and I'm trying to arrive at what they say about their popularity because I don't think that could ever be popular here in the U.S. But let's put that aside. Let's go one, two, three. What is a, and you've been a guest and you've been a host, a presenter, what is a panel show? A panel show is often, um, is mostly a game, really, a parlor game, if you want to use Victorian language. It's a, it's a, a game between a couple of teams with a host um, where people play this game, but really it's just an excuse to get funny people on and for them to be funny. Right. Uh, you shoot them over an hour and a half, two hours. They're edited down to half an hour. Uh, you're often given a bit of heads up, sometimes even a bit of help if you're on the panel to help you come up with some funny stuff. They are cheap television, hence their popularity here. And there's some great ones. There are some, some excruciating ones I've been on, which I would not want to go on again. But well, at their best, <laughs> it's like it's like a fun yeah. evening at Christmas with some very funny people. Tell us what makes a good panel show and what is the ultimate iteration of a panel show? You're just trying to be funny. Right. It's not about actually getting the correct answer. It's who can, who can, who can meander and talk and be most interesting. And uh, I mean, the, my favorite show to do is called "Would I Lie to You." Uh, my, that's my favorite show to watch. Uh, you right. know, I think it's my d- favorite to do. Absolutely, David the, and the, Lee and Rob yeah. are amazing. I think it's exactly. yeah. You have you're given you you talk for with the researcher for a long time. You tell them all these stories, and on the day you flip over a card and you may get 
an actual story you've told them or they may have made up something entirely different. You have to convince the other team that it actually happened to you. Uh, it's either a true story or it's a complete lie. But either way, you have to convince them that it's true and they have to guess which one uh, it is. And, you know, that's it. And the game itself is just fascinating. I love it. You know, the, trying to keep your composure when you turn over a card and you see something completely false and having to wing a story and make up um, uh, something that's not only sounds true, but is also funny. I love it. It's Armando. Oh, I once had to abandon my car in a safari park after a baboon climbed through the sunroof, lay down on the back seat and fell asleep. <laughs> OK, so where in the safari park is the car? In the lion enclosure. <laughs> where, where, where in the safari park is the car? It, it's... <laughs> where do you think it is? In the baboon area! Answering for that, Tina. It could have been in the car park. It could have been in the car park. What would the baboon be doing in the car park? The baboon may have escaped. I'm not saying that the answer the baboon enclosure would have amazed me. Do you wonder, perhaps, if I didn't expect to have to defend myself to this extent with that only question? It's a stupid question. What's the gift shop? If it's a, it's a stupid question, cut it out in the edit. No, it'll be left in to show you what the charlatan that you are. In the safari park was your car. The baboon area. Thank you. As I suspected. <laughs> Anyway, back to where we were now. You, where were we? <laughs> There's craft. It's not extemporaneous wit solely. And it, it's not simply because the Stephen Mangans of the world and the Armando Iannucci's of the world and the Charles Dances of the world have been on the show. And those are high class, high skilled performers. There's some infrastructure. And the common comparison are like the, the light show. And you, England doesn't really have late night TV in that traditional sense, correct? That's right. Craig what? Ferguson and James Corden had to go to the States to do that. Why is that? What is the resistance? What, what, what is the disconnect? Why, why aren't late shows as buoyant in the, in the UK? I don't know. Maybe we have to come home and turn <laughs> off our gas lamps and use our outside toilets and <laughs> get our coach, you know, our horses back in the stable. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's just not part of our culture. Who, I mean, I'm in a show at the moment that's on at 10 p.m. No one's awake to watch it. We don't. <laughs> We're, we're, everyone's in bed at 9.30 because it gets dark here so early. You know, in the winter, it's dark at 4.30 in the afternoon. We are on a latitude with, with I think, Nova Scotia or something. So we are, we are because it's so temperate here, people forget how far north we are. So maybe we just, you know, by, by 11 o'clock at night, whenever the late shows are on, what, midnight or something? Yeah. You know, it used to be Letterman always complained about being 12.30, you know, so it, right. it's much more competitive now. Conan O'Brien, which people don't tend to watch anymore, is on at 11. It's a me it's a messy field. I guess it buoys a little bit as we close to a couple more beats with Stephen Mang and generously with us here on Murmur. I was thinking about words. I, I do think having watched so much TV in hotel rooms, this is my unqualified research here, um, there's something about the care and love of words that makes like a panel show work. I don't think the U.S. cares and thinks and uses words in the same way. You, you can fight me off. What do you think about that? You know, we love video clips. A lot of these panel shows have very sparing video clips. We like interviews. A lot of these panel shows do not. Do you think there is something in the cultural reaction to stimulation that makes something popular in the U.K. which doesn't make it popular in the U.S. and vice versa? I definitely think that we are much more obsessed by words here. I mean, maybe it's being surrounded um, in, a, in a relatively small area by so many different countries that speak so many different languages that's mm. made us focus on English so much. I don't know what it is. You know, all our broadsheet newspapers, The Times, The Telegraph, The Guardian, have on the back page a cryptic crossword, which, you know, The Times crossword is a sort of national institution. You know, our playwrights and our novelists uh, have been a sort of central figures in our cultural 
heritage with you know in america the the, the movies uh, you know a younger country maybe it's a more of a visual thing i just don't know I, i'm not clever enough to know the answer to that but i do think there is a difference between the two countries and the way in the way we we use words and, and and relish them yeah i was watching an old clip i think it was you on would i lie to you or it may have even been uh, have i got news for you which you've hosted or presented where you used the word frisson and you know when the audience was laughing an american audience would have blown up their tv they would have taken a gun out and shot it uh, i mean <laughs> it's you, good to know next time i'm on this tv no just, just duck a lot no um but but you can't use that language it is something maybe as you say embedded in the, in the bedrock have you gotten more or less attuned to all this as you have started a, a, a production company with your amazingly talented wife louise delamere uh, have you thought less about it more about it or is it simply you just kind of put your head down and do the content and the delivery is the delivery but as a producer you have to care who's seeing it and where right sure i mean my first lesson in that really was doing episodes uh which was as you'll know a bbc and showtime co-production so we had to make people laugh in the states and in the uk and it was interesting that often a delivery would make all the brits in the room laugh and it would leave the americans uh, cold and vice versa so you were constantly looking for a style uh, and a form of wit that would work in both places and it, it's it's a really interesting nuance there is certainly the brits can celebrate failure in a way i think it goes back to that karaoke story we like people uh mucking up it's funny to us whereas it's got to be handled in the right way in the states yeah, that's a great uh, yeah, that's a great point go on please yeah that's yeah amazing. so so we've lived under a rigid social structure yeah we've had kings and queens going back you know how many thousands of years so uh, we have a class system uh we have uh you know we expect to behave in certain ways in certain situations right so undermining that is funny uh <laughs> undermining power uh, you know, cutting people down a peg or two is, is funny to us because we feel the oppression not just of the system but of the way we're expected to behave, those social codes. Um, so that's what pushes our buttons. Whereas America, you know, has always been a striving nation with ambition and grand plans. And I think you respond to that, uh, you know, so you, you respond to the setup, you know, government to you is anathema. People have always felt more autonomous, I think, over there. There's this more sense of like, I'm running my life and I'm in charge of what I'm doing. And I will, I will, uh, so you don't have that knocking down of power, although it's creeping in. And, you know, I notice all the late shows now are constantly, yeah. Uh, uh, it's a great political situation and what's going on. That's but. a great trend. You're identifying a really interesting trend how the Stephen Colbert's of the world and and the Jimmy Fallon's reluctantly or actively are being pushed into it. I think it's a healthy thing. A couple more thoughts. Stephen Mangan giving us his big brain uh, today on Murmur. I was thinking about Christopher Guest. Chris is a guy I've had on my show and he said something though that I thought was really interesting and especially with Chris who loved radio and TV luminaries. Some guy named Peter Sellers, Jonathan Kent and, and Alan Bennon and, and Peter Cook and all these great. I asked him once, does your content uh, translate? And he said no. He said one of the things he remarked about his films, they're not as funny in other countries. Then I thought about his subject matter being very American. What do you make of that? Is it about Guest or not? But did, does that surprise you to hear something like a Christopher Guest doesn't translate as well in terms of the, yeah. la- the laughs? Does that surprise I, you? I would beg to differ. I mean, I would think Spinal Tap, for example, is right, right up there you know, uh, best in show, waiting for Guffman. I, I would disagree. I mean, I'm a huge fan of his, so maybe that's my bias. I don't know. His films deal with the absurdity of, um, often of competition, you know, best in show, waiting for Guffman. These are people who are trying their best, a mighty wind, who are trying their best, but there's a ludicrousness to their ambition. Uh, there's a, a kind of folly to it, which is glorious at the same time. But it, he, he looks at people who are, they, they lack self-knowledge. They lack an outside view. They don't see themselves as the rest of the world sees them. Right. And th- what's important to them, what's really driving them, is often ludicrous to everybody else. And I think that's where a lot of that comedy comes from. Um, 
I don't know where I'm going with that. No, 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 no. They're, they're conceptual and not not concrete in a way. Even though they're concrete, they're they're so concrete that they're abstract. And another yeah. thing that he said, and, I, and I'm getting it out of what you're saying as well, that he loves his subjects. He's not yeah. take not to use your expression again, but he's not taking the piss out of them. I'm sorry, I've co-opted yeah. so many. We'll have you back on in terms of how I've co-opted so many of you know Bob's your uncle. I used to work for David Mamet. That was one of his favorite expressions, Bob's your uncle. What, what does Bob's your uncle mean? I don't know where it comes from. Um, my children have an uncle called Bob. And <laughs> so he used that expression a lot. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea where that comes from. Um, I'll get back to you on that. Yeah. It's funny, when I was a kid watching uh, Three's Company, at the end when it says, based on man about the house, 1973, that blew my mind, actually. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it blew my fucking mind. And the Ropers, which was a spinoff of Three's Company, was based on the spinoff of Man About the House. But anyway, is there something about the recycling of content maybe between these two countries that has attraction? Do you think pe programmers in England look especially at America and America looks at London? Do you think there's an eyeballing going oh, on? Oh, definitely. Yeah. It definitely is. And we, we watch with with envy, really, I think, at the at the resources you have uh, and at the, you know, the, the size of your industry. It just means there's more... There's more fertile ground there for great things to come out. And some of the stuff that's been produced in the States, you know, you produce some great artworks, uh, Breaking Bad and The Wire and The Sopranos, these amazing works of art. Um, so I, we do definitely look across. I don't think we normally look across thinking, oh, we can re remake that in this country. I think um, I think a, for a long time, America has looked, has sort of picked over the bones of our team. TV shows and think we'll have that one, we'll have that one. I mean, some shows get remade three, four times uh, because people think there's got to be a way to make this work in a different, you know, in the States. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't necessarily always work, but, uh, yeah. you know, The It Crowd, for example, I think was made two or three times. Um, Faulty, Ta Faulty Towers was remade. I mean, these are great shows, but they... Faulty Towers, Faulty Dad's Towers, Army was made, you know. Uh, Sanford and Son, Steptoe and Son. Steptoe and Son was our was our version. Was yours, yeah. yeah. There's a, there's a yeah. laundry list. You did a show, Free Agents, really great show that was remade. Did you ever see the remake, the American remake with Hank Azaria? It was very brief. Did you ever see it? I, c I can barely watch the stuff I'm in, let alone <laughs> the, the stuff that other people have done that I was in that got cancelled after one season. So no, I didn't. I think now if we're looking across to the States, it's more like what can I make that will that will that will they will buy over there that they will want to watch rather than uh what shows can we remake over here because often the scale uh of certainly the drama is difficult for us to match and i think comedy is on the whole a very different mindset from the comedy you make over there to the comedy we make yeah, here yeah yeah i mean so, a show a show like coupling which was a national phenomenon in England died on the vine here and and right. I, I still have people who can't understand why I suppose it's just as intriguing what works in both places and what doesn't uh, what I do what I can tell you about that especially on on, on, on stage I also did a play you know that transferred from the West End in London to Broadway the American audiences let you know how they're feeling at every step of the way mm. they ooh, they are they gasp they cry they shout they yell they, they really are vocal I don't know if it's just a New York thing they really are vocal and letting you know how they feel feel whereas in britain uh and people can be having the time of their lives and you <laughs> you can't really hear what's going on because we're so much more reserved over here the last question generously thoughtfully before we let him get back to being a real family man um stephen mangan here on murder uh, murder murmur sorry see what's on my mind murder that's what i'm doing later today actually i, I just as gave... a therapist i'd love to get into that <laughs> <laughs> no, believe me. Trust trust me on this. Here's an ironic, a bit of irony to end on. Do you think there's too much made about crossing over? <laughs> and and I know you've not had flirtations, but I'm sure people in your your world have suggested you move, and you know, and and it's complicated with wife and kids and all that. But do you think there's more of a sanctity in staying where you are than we're allowing, or do you think there's a balance you can strike between moving around and staying where you are and creating? I think actors just wanna work with interesting people if you you know if you get past the point of you just need a job to pay the grocery bills and you have some sort of choice i think you you want to work 
with interesting people. And for everybody, interesting people means different things. You have to be honest with yourselves, I think, at certain times. And I know at the beginning of my career, I never considered moving to America because I did a lot of comedy. And in most American TV comedies and film comedies, everyone is absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. You may have the soul of a poet. If you look like a nightclub bouncer, then you'll play nightclub bouncers. You won't play poets. As you said earlier in the introduction to me, I have this itchy brain. I like the fact that in London you can do theatre, film, television, you can do radio drama. Yeah, you, there's a whole range of stuff you can do here. You don't have to make that decision. Do I move to New York and, and do plays? Do I move to the West Coast and, and try and do movies? Uh, you can stay in one place and do it all. So I, I, I suppose I felt more comfortable here. Getting back to the original point of our whole conversation, the cultural groundswell that gives rise to an idea is often the place it should be. Last question. Can an American transplant into the English system and thrive? Forget visas for a second. David Sedaris, I believe, lives in London now, and Thurston Moore, yeah, Thurston Moore of Sonic Youth has lived there. Stanley Tucci lives here now, doesn't he? Stanley Tucci lives there. You know, would it be acceptable for an American to try to fix a presence in English content, or would the system reject him or her? I don't think they reject them at all. Uh, I think um, your agent and your bank manager would be very surprised by that move because <laughs> you'd be uh, you'd be really downgrading your pay packet. Um, but the world is now a much more fluid place, and we have some of the biggest films in the world being made in London because of for various tax break reasons, etc. You know, LA is emptying of filmmakers because it's not economical to make films there. Everyone's going to Vancouver, to Atlanta, to, to Toronto, um, to London. So uh, it's a small planet now. Um, I have an American agent. I have a British agent. If the job, right job came along, I'd go and do it over there. I can base my career out of London. I think, you know, 20 years ago, it would have been different. You'd have had to gone somewhere. But no, I mean, I know... I know dozens of British actors who are now in the States. I don't think I know any American actors who made the reverse journey. Uh, maybe that'll change in the future. Who knows? So basically what I'm saying is keep your couch uh, with a pillow fluffed. I may be using it <laughs> at some point. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm no friends extra, certainly, as you've seen through our video technology here. But um, hey, man, next time we do this, hopefully we could do this in person. It would be great uh, if I'm coming over to say hi and, and chat a bit about just less interesting stuff. Your insights are really fantastic. No matter what David Cross says, this was, this was, <laughs> this was a lot of fun. Thank you. I really had a good time, Robert. Thank you. All the best to you and your wife and your lovely young family. And if I can ever be of service, let me know, man. Thank you. It's great talking to you. Cheers, Stephen. Be well. Cheers. Bye now. I want to thank Stephen Mangan for being here with us today on Murmur. I want to thank you for being here with us today on Murmur. But friends, dear friends, you can be with us anytime. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. Subscribe, download, review the show. MurmurRadio.com is the website. Social handles at MSF Murmur. Email me directly, MurmurRadio at gmail.com. Email me a subject. I'll match the subject with a guest. I'll bring you on. You can give me a pass-fail. It'll be like a Sunday roast. (laughs) Bob's your uncle. (laughs) See ya.